0: Short Rounds.
1: Hey y'all and welcome back to the Unknown Soldiers podcast. I am your host James Hauser and I am so excited to have you here today. Like I said last week, I've been in the middle of some real life turbulence, some moving in stuff. So this week what I got for you is two Short Rounds featuring two fascinating figures of the Crimean War. The series I've been doing for the last month or so. So this week I am doing two biographical Short Rounds and next week Crimean War series has its finale. Sound good? Sounds good. So this short round talks about a unique figure of the Crimean War, a woman who was famous in her own time, was forgotten thereafter, and who historians have only recently rediscovered. A mixed-race Jamaican woman with a crazy variety of experiences and skills who became one of the Crimea's greatest heroines. In our other short round, the twin of this one, we take a look behind the Russian lines at Sevastopol with Leo Tolstoy. In this one, we're going to look behind the Allied lines with Mistress Mary Seacole, a Creole doctor, nurse, cook, herbalist, ho- hostess, sutler, ambulance driver, and even battlefield medic. She fed, nursed, sheltered, clothes supplied, and guided the British soldiers, and in the darkest moments, she saved hundreds of their lives. For many, she was the last face they ever saw, the last gentle hand they ever held. She's one of our protagonists, the champion of all camp followers, our healer. The British Army would remember her forever as Mother Seacole. No one did more than her to bring light into the melting dark that was the Crimea. As always, this is not just history, but military history, so there's some dark and bloody stuff going on. This podcast is PG-13, the language is clean, the content is not. All my sources will be posted on my website, unknownsoldierspodcast.com, so if you want to fact check me, feel free to do so. Finally, any errors, mispronunciations, or mistakes are my own. I'm trying to be entertaining, but all the information I'm giving you is accurate to the best of my knowledge. This was a real story with a real fascinating woman who does not deserve to be an unknown soldier. So let's say you've decided to pay a visit to the Crimean War Front, sometime after the terrible winter of 1854-55. You land at the British supply base of Balaclava and make your way up the newly constructed railroad towards the front lines. About halfway there, about halfway to the trenches, you spot a few huts gathered around a large metal building. You might see a line of soldiers outside waiting for sick call, or officers from every allied army, British, French, Turkish, even the newly arrived Italians. And at the center is a stout, dark-skinned woman in a colorful dress, around 50 years old, moving with a manic energy. She checks the soldiers for injuries and illnesses, hands out drinks to the officers, shouts at her workers, and drives her carts through the mud and dreck of the Crimea down to Balaclava, up to the trenches, or out to the battlefield. This is the British Hotel, founded, owned, and operated by Mistress Mary Seacole. Mary Seacole was born Mary Jane Grant on November 23, 1805. Her father was a Scottish officer in the British Army. Her mother was a black Jamaican healer in the Afro-Caribbean tradition. Mary grew up in her mother's boarding house in Kingston, Jamaica, a place busy with both British garrison soldiers and Jamaican locals. So from a very early age, Mary was in close contact with both halves of her heritage. She later attributed her wanderlust to her Scottish father, and her obsessive need to care for others to her Jamaican doctress mother. Even in the face of blatant racism which she experienced all her life, Mary embraced both the British and the Jamaican, the white and the black, within her. Mary learned much of her craft from her mother, The tradition of Jamaican doctresses focused on traditional folk medicines, built up over centuries of experience and practice. These included, among other things, the importance of hygiene, herbal remedies, hydration, and lots of food and rest. Caribbean doctresses had ample experience of tropical diseases, especially cholera and malaria. So this wasn't just quack science. A lot of these practices worked. Mary imitated her mother early on, recounting in her memoirs how she would practice her medical skills on her dolls, eventually graduating to her pets, who were very happy, I'm sure, to have random concoctions shoved down their throats, and eventually to working on actual people. But Mary also learned a great deal from the local British military community. She became closely acquainted with many soldiers and officers, and observed and assisted with British army surgeons as well. By the time Mary made it to the Crimea, she was capable of diagnosing, prescribing medicines both European and Caribbean, and performing minor surgery based on her knowledge gained from both Jamaican doctresses and professional British medical staff. This was a much more advanced skill set than anything possessed by, for instance, Florence Nightingale's nurses. On November 10, 1836... She became Mary C. Cole when she married Edwin Horatio C. Cole, the godson of the British Admiral Horatio Nelson. He passed away eight years later, leaving her a widow. Her mother died shortly thereafter, and their precious boarding house burned down in the Great Fire of Kingston, a triple tragedy. But if Mary Seacole was good at anything, it was rolling with the punches. She took her husband's money to found a new boarding house modeled on her mother's practice. This was a business model she would repeat in the Crimea a hotel slash restaurant slash hospital slash saloon. Soon, Mother Seacole was well known to every British unit who passed through the Jamaica garrison. She helped the British survive the massive 1850 cholera epidemic with her combination of modern and traditional medicines. In 1851, Mary started a new business venture in Panama to serve American travelers moving to and from California. This was during the age of the filibuster, and she often had to chase rowdy Americans out of her store with a gun. But when cholera arrived there too, she found herself organizing a full-on disaster response in her town, acting as doctor, nurse, pharmacist, and public health coordinator. Her treatments for cholera were relatively successful compared to those of the local doctors. Though she did still use mustard rubs and other practices that weren't completely effective, her focus on hygiene, nutrition, and especially rehydration saved many lives. This experience on Panama gave her enormous, you know, just a wealth of knowledge about epidemic responses and organization. So this was Mary C. Cole on the eve of the Crimean War a highly experienced Creole doctress with close ties to the British Army and a unique skill set combining European and Native medical traditions. She was also an entrepreneur. Her successful business ventures had gained her a small personal fortune. So she was a businesswoman, yes, but she had an insatiable need to help, to care, to cure, to go where she was most needed. Both of these impulses would lead her to the Crimea. And when the businesswoman and doctress came into conflict... Place your bets on which one would win. When Mary C. Cole heard that the Crimean War had begun, she knew what she had to do.
0: Now, no sooner had I heard of war somewhere than I longed to witness it, and when I was told that many of the regiments I had known so well in Jamaica had left England for the scene of action, the desire to join them became stronger than ever. I used to stand in silent thought before an old map of the world, in a little corner of which someone had chalked a red cross to enable me to distinguish where the Crimea was.
1: So it was that Mary C. Cole wound up in London in late 1854, just as the news of Inkerman and the terrible winter were being splashed across the newspapers. She began to approach British officials and ministers, trying to see if there was any way she could be of service. She's like, hey, I'm here, I want to help, use me but no one seemed to want her help. The government rejected her application to join Florence Nightingale's team. Mary went to almost every British government office in London, almost begging to be hired on to serve the British war effort, but no one had any time for a 49-year-old Creole widow. She had plenty of recommendations from army officers she'd worked with in Jamaica, but no real medical credentials. Her expertise wasn't recognized by the medical officials of the day. Of course, there was another reason.
0: Was it possible that American prejudices against color had some root here? Did these ladies shrink from accepting my aid because my blood flowed beneath a somewhat duskier skin than theirs?
1: But if Mary Seacole was good at anything, it was rolling with the punches. If the government wouldn't get her to the Crimea, she would get there herself. Working with an old acquaintance from her Jamaica days, Mr. Thomas Day, she established a new firm, C. Cole & Day, which planned a venture to support the war effort in the Crimea. It would be called the British Hotel. Mary C. Cole, Thomas Day, and their cargo set out from London on January 27th 1855. They stopped in at Gibraltar and Malta, British army garrisons where random soldiers would recognize her and suddenly shout, Mother Seacole" when they saw her broad, smiling face. Finally, they reached Constantinople, where Mary decided to pay a visit to the legendary lady with the lamp. The exact relationship between Florence Nightingale and Mary Seacole is still highly disputed to this day. It's a point of contention. Even though they shared a core motivation to help, to care, they were just very different women with very different backgrounds. Florence had had a privileged life, a first-class medical education, and enjoyed the full support of the British government. She was extremely effective. She was, you know, one of the legendary figures of history and deserves to be. But she was severe and demanding, with a lot of deeply embedded Victorian ideals about morality and propriety. Mary, on the other hand, was a low-class, mixed-race widow who had learned her medical practices through long experience and street smarts, and always made her own way. She had way more experience than Florence, but without the credentials. Florence seemed to see Mary as a rogue element, a loose cannon outside her justified but overzealous need for control. She had respect for what Mary did, evidenced later, but criticized the fact that she sold alcohol at her hotels, which she saw as one of the British Army's biggest problems. She did tell one visitor that,
0: I hear that she has done a deal of good for the poor soldiers.
1: But she also wrote that,
0: Anyone who employs Mrs. Seacole will introduce much kindness, also much drunkenness and improper conduct.
1: So yeah, it sounds like uh, Florence Nightingale was a a very divided opinion about Mary Seacole. Mary, for her part, never had a bad word to say about Florence Nightingale. After her short visit at Florence's hospital in Scutari, Mary Seacole set out for balaclava. She arrived on March 9, 1855 with her stores, baggage, and chests full of medicines, both herbs from Jamaica and chemicals from Britain, and immediately announced her presence to the rest of the camp. It will be hard to mistake her for anyone else. The Crimea would from here on out contain only one enormous middle-aged black woman who dressed in vivid red and blue Jamaican dresses with just this aura of kindliness. You could tell who she was from miles away. One British Army chaplain remembered, "'I shall not easily forget the first glimpse I had of her. I was sitting in the hut of an artillery officer when I perceived a peculiar object in the distance.' I took it at first for an ostrich, but on nearer approach I observed the flutter of a veil. "'Who in the name of Crimean incredibilities is that?' I exclaimed. "'Oh, that is Mrs. Seacole.' "'And who is Mrs. Seacole?' "'Why, don't you know? She is grand purveyor to the army, doctor of medicine, cook, confectioner, and nurse. "'In fact, quite a jack-of-all-trades in her way, and in a word, the soldier's friend.' While she was waiting for her hotel to be built, Mary Seacole occupied herself caring for the sick and wounded at Balaclava. They were filling the dockside, often lying exposed in the mud and the weather, waiting for the ships to carry them to the hospital at Scutari Without even asking permission, Mary just inserted herself. She set to work nursing, feeding, and caring for the exposed sick on the quayside at Balaclava, carrying them cakes and tea, helping them off the ambulance carts, dressing their wounds... One British admiral had been very stern with her when she arrived, saying this was, the Crimea's no place for an unaccompanied widow. But when he saw how she treated the soldiers, he approached her with tears in his eyes, blessing her for her work. Mary would have said, well, this is what I came here to do. The British hotel had to be built from scrap wood and metal fished out of Balaclava Harbor. Mary made another unusual friend in the course of her construction. The Ottoman commander-in-chief, Omer Pasha. It kind of sounds like he had a crush on her. He was always paying constant visits to the hotel, buying up every drop of wine she had, and trying to get her to teach him English. But Omer helped Mary secure building materials and Turkish workers, and soon the British Hotel was up and running. The British Hotel was not just a hotel. There was a kitchen staffed by two black Jamaican cooks that made a blend of British and Caribbean cuisine for paying officers. There was a separate canteen like a cafeteria for enlisted soldiers. There was a general store which sold goods that Mary brought in from London and Constantinople, which made her kind of a PX.
0: The reader may judge the manner in which we stocked the interior of our store from the remark, often repeated by the officers, that you might get everything at Mother Seacole's from an anchor down to a needle.
1: There was a small hotel with beds and rooms, and Mary was quite happy to dispense medical care and medicines of any kind, usually for free, especially to the enlisted. So it was an officer's club slash hotel slash general store slash cafeteria slash doctor's office. Mary's staff included her cooks, her business partner, Mr. Thomas Day, and a pair of unusual figures who don't always get a lot of detail in her memoir. One was a young Greek-Jewish boy she had hired on in Constantinople. His name was Johnny, but Mary knew multiple Johnnies, so she just called him, um, Jew Johnny. Mrs. Seacole, that is not PC. She is getting hashtag canceled in 2022. The other was a 14-year-old girl named either Sally or Sarah, who goes virtually unmentioned in Mary's memoirs, but who people who wrote about her talk about. Sally or Sarah was probably Mary C. Cole's illegitimate daughter, baby daddy, unknown to history. And I want to emphasize this, guys, this is on the Crimea, where everything sucks all the time. So you can imagine just how successful this business venture was, and also how difficult it was to pull it off to gather these materials and run this thing. But the British Hotel was always packed throughout the Crimean War, full to the brim with troops and officers from all the Allied armies. I should also emphasize how unusual it was in the Victorian age for an unmarried black woman to be running a business literally three miles from the trenches outside Sevastopol. She could do this mainly because she had deep connections with the British army from her Jamaica days. It also didn't hurt that she seems to have been just a fountain of charisma. Everybody who knew her long enough basically fell in love with Mary Seacole. So Mary Seacole's business was booming, only a few miles behind the British trenches, within earshot of the guns of Sevastopol. And if owning a successful hotel was all she had done, well, there wouldn't be a short round about her. But Mary C. Cole had come to the Crimea as both a businesswoman and as a doctress, and it was as a doctress that she would become one of the Crimean War's great heroines. Mary C. Cole had a wealth of nursing and medical experience, a stock of both Jamaican cures and European medicines that she constantly replenished, and an apparently bottomless well of energy and will to nurse and care for the British army on the Crimea. She had seen horrible epidemics in Jamaica and Panama, and knew what worked and what didn't. Medical professionals of the time dismissed a lot of her treatments as quackery, and some professionals and historians still do. But considering this is an age when hand-washing was freaking controversial, let's not take these people's word for it. See, Jamaican doctresses had discovered, almost by accident, by just traditional practice, one of the keys to saving a cholera patient the use of astringents, which cause the contraction of tissue and prevent the constant expulsion of fluids that eventually dehydrates and kills the afflicted. So Mary Seacole's cholera cure usually involves shavings of mahogany or other tropical trees boiled into a decoction flavored with cinnamon and guava jelly. This function is both an astringent to prevent that expulsion of fluids and an electrolyte to replenish and rehydrate. So this was a traditional medicine, but it had the pharmaceutical effects that made it work. Mary's cures saved many patients on the Crimea. So the lesson here, guys, is that when Becky down the street with her internet diploma tries to sell you an herbal remedy, at least do some research first. But if Mary C. Cole gives you an herbal remedy and you're dying of cholera, you freaking take it. It didn't take long for word of Mistress C. Cole's cures to spread around the Crimea. Even British Army surgeons, regimental surgeons, endorsed her medicines and sent their soldiers to her. Even Dr. John Hall, the British Army's medical director, recommended her and endorsed her. Her cures for jaundice were in such high demand that she kept a large pan of it just simmering all the time, ready for the men lining up outside the British hotel. Mary also stitched up wounds, removed bullets, and reset broken bones for her customers. Officers had to pay, but she treated soldiers for free. But it wasn't just that she cared for them, it was how she cared for them. Mary Seacole was seen as a near-angelic figure whose kindness and gentleness were legendary. Hardened soldiers from all the Crimean armies cried when they felt her caring hands treating their broken bodies. Many a man was later to confess that his most abiding memory of the war was that of Mother Seacole, seated by the deathbed of a young soldier who was comforted by the illusion that the black breast pillowing his head was really that of his mother. And that's what she ended up being to the men of the Crimea. Her cooking, her providing, her medical care, and the warmth and love she showed to the individual sick or wounded soldier, she became something like their collective mother. "'and it was a role she accepted and took on willingly. "'They called her mother Seacole, "'and she called all the British soldiers her sons. "'She was not immune to the pain and sorrow of their loss, "'and some deaths struck her harder than others.
0: "'There was one poor boy in the artillery, "'with blue eyes and light golden hair, "'whom I nursed through a long and weary sickness, "'born with all a man's spirit, "'and whom I grew to love like a fond old-fashioned mother.' I thought that if angels watched over any life, they would shelter his. But one day, a short time after he had left his sick bed, he was struck down on his battery, working like a young hero. It was a long time before I could banish from my mind the thought of him as I saw him last the yellow hair, stiff and stained with his lifeblood, and his blue eyes closed in the sleep of death.
1: Mary's medical work was not limited to the hotel. She was a constant presence in the trenches, where she visited despite rain and snow and mud and wind to deliver food and drink to the boys on the front lines. She also aided the sick and wounded while she was there and came under fire more than once, including several major assaults and major bombardments, enough that it became a habit.
0: More frequently than was agreeable, a shot would come plowing up the ground and raising clouds of dust or a shell whizz above us. Upon these occasions, those around would cry out, Lie down, Mother! Lie down! And with a very undignified and unladylike haste, I had to embrace the earth.
1: Keep in mind, y'all, Lady is almost 50. Mary C. Cole would be present for all the Crimean battles of 1855, and present on the front lines at the battle, not just on the Crimea during the battle, at the battle, including the final great assaults on Sevastopol, of which we will hear more next week. She was a strange apparition moving across the lines, this middle-aged black woman in her bright dresses with her bags of medicine and sandwiches and cups of tea. There was no one else quite like her. Some of the British soldiers told the Russians that that was actually Queen Victoria just messing with them, and apparently some of the Russians believed it, which created a bunch of weird altercations later on near the end of the war. Mary Seacole's work and care made her adored and beloved by the British army. Everyone knew who she was. She was one of the most famous people in the army, down from the privates to the generals. And in contrast to Florence and her team, though not to downplay what they did, Mary Seacole was not only actually on the Crimea, she did all of this on her own, no backing from the British government. She didn't have high government connections or official credentials. She wasn't just lower class, she was a colonial, she was black. But she made her way and did her work through sheer strength of character, business savvy, and the love she inspired and gave to the British Army. Mary Seacole was one of the great heroines of the Crimean War. Mary made enormous profits from her hotel, but she gave money away just as quickly as she earned it, distributing food and medicine to the army for free, lots of losses from thievery, especially the zouaves, who she was always basically chasing off with a spoon. The real evidence that Mary Seacole was no war profiteer lies in one simple fact. Lots of people went to the Crimea poor and came away rich, war profiteers. Mary Seacole came to the Crimea fairly wealthy, fairly independently wealthy for a widow, but left in poverty. Mary Seacole returned to England in 1856. Her health had been broken by the effort and pain she had put into 18 months of military life, of saving the wounded and treating the sick and running her hotel. But if Mary Seacole was good at anything, it was rolling with the punches. When word got out that she was in financial need, the veterans of the Crimea rallied to care for her as she had cared for them. A fund was set up for Mary's benefit in January 1857, and many Crimea veterans, both high and low, donated to keep her afloat, including several princes and dukes. This fund, which would be revived whenever she needed it, maintained Mary C. Cole, at least in part, for the rest of her life. She had saved them in the misery and trenches of the Crimea. Now it was their turn to save her. Mary C. Cole's life had one more interesting little twist. After operating another hotel in Jamaica throughout the 1860s, she somehow got in good with the British royal family. Seems her main route through this was Prince George, Duke of Cambridge, who had seen and heard of what she'd done and basically operated as her patron. By the 1870s, she was living in a flat in London. She was employed as the personal massage therapist to Alexandra of Denmark, Queen Victoria's daughter-in-law and Princess of Wales, who suffered from rheumatism. But she was never lonely. Mary Seacole always had a constant stream of visitors, men from the Crimea who remembered and called on their mother, who had looked after them in their time of need. She always seemed to remember their faces, and they definitely remembered hers, usually framed against a red sky of shot or shell, or the tattered canvas of a hospital tent. They had lain near death and in their delirium, mistaken her for a wife or a mother or a sister, talking to her about their children and their lives and the pain they had been through. She had been that person for them. Mother Seacole. Mary Seacole passed away in her London flat on May 14th, 1881, and lies in St. Mary's Catholic Cemetery in Kensal Green. Despite being so famous in her day, she was forgotten for decades until her legacy was rediscovered in the 21st century. Today, Mary Seacole is regarded as one of the great people of color in British history, maybe one of the greatest. Her autobiography, published in 1857, is titled... Wonderful Adventures of Mrs. C. Cole in Many Lands. It is easily available on Amazon, Kindle, Audible. It is a very entertaining read. I highly recommend it. She led a fascinating life, and there are loads of details in there I wish I had time to include. William Howard Russell, the Crimea's great war correspondent, summed her up in the foreword to her memoir, I have witnessed her devotion and her courage, and I trust that England will never forget one who has nursed her sick, who sought out her wounded to aid and succor them, and who performed the last offices for some of her illustrious dead. But Mary's return to fame has been controversial. Many historians claim that her work was exaggerated, that she was never really that important, that her story has no real impact on modern nursing, unlike that of Florence Nightingale. As to her importance, well, it sounds like most of the British soldiers disagreed. They thought she was pretty darn important. There is, without a doubt, a small racial element to this downplaying of her very real medical talents and contribution. There is an ongoing controversy over the legacies of Florence Nightingale and Mary Seacole, like the belief that Mary's rise in fame is detrimental to Florence's, like there can only be one great woman of the Crimean War. But I think there's room for more than one. More than two. We've seen in this series that women of all stripes, black and white, poor and rich, British and French and Russian, all played their part in the story of the Crimea. They all sacrificed and they all matter. The Florence versus Mary rivalry is silly, people trying to invent a conflict where there wasn't one. Mary had nothing but good words for Florence. And recent archival research has discovered that when Mary was down on her luck after the war, Florence donated to her charitable fund to help support her fellow nurse, the fellow woman that helped keep the Crimean soldiers alive. So it seemed that Miss Nightingale recognized Mother Seacole's work after all. There's room for two, heck more than two, incredible British heroines of the Crimean War. Room for both the lady with the lamp and the creole with the cup. Thanks a bunch for listening today. If you learned anything, it should be the power that one person's effort and kindness can have in the hour of greatest need. Not a funny quip, just an all-too-forgotten observation, I think. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about it. If you don't, tell your enemies. Check my website at unknownsoldierspodcast.com for all my sources and some other commentary. I'm always on Facebook or Twitter at UNK Soldiers Pod or email me at unknownsoldierspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Always appreciate feedback and commentary, even if it's just kind words. I'm not perfect. If you've got advice, I'd love to hear it. And don't forget to check out this week's other short round. We've met our girl, Mary. Let's meet our boy, Leo. Check out Leo Tolstoy's story of the Crimea, and check in next week for the conclusion to the series, only here on Unknown Soldiers.